0: CHAPTER Six of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. When we two meet, we meet like rushing torrents, Like warring winds, like flames from various points That mate each other's fury. There is naught of elemental strife, were fiends to guide it can match the wrath of man frenaud the elder of our two travellers though a strong man and familiar with fatigue slept sounder and longer than usual on the morning which was now beginning to dawn but his son arthur had that upon his mind which early interrupted his repose the encounter with the bold switzer a chosen man of a renowned race of warriors was an engagement which in the opinion of the period in which he lived was not to be delayed or broken he left his father's side avoiding as much as possible the risk of disturbing him though even in that case the circumstance would not have excited any attention as he was in the habit of rising early in order to make preparations for the day's journey to see that the guide was on his duty and that the mule had his provender and to discharge similar offices which might otherwise have given trouble to his father the old man however fatigued with the exertions of the preceding day slept as we have said more soundly than his wont and arthur arming himself with his good sword sallied out to the lawn in front of the landamman's dwelling amid the magic dawn of a beautiful harvest morning in the swiss mountains the sun was just about to kiss the top of the most gigantic of that race of titans though the long shadows still lay on the rough grass which crisped under the young man's feet with a strong intimation of frost. But Arthur looked not round on the landscape, however lovely, which lay waiting one flash from the orb of day to start into brilliant existence. He drew the belt of his trusty sword, which he was in the act of fastening when he left the house, and ere he had secured the buckle he was many paces on his way towards the place where he was to use it. It was still the custom of that military period to regard a summons to combat as a sacred engagement, preferable to all others which could be formed, and stifling whatever inward feelings of reluctance nature might oppose to the dictates of fashion, the step of a gallant to the place of encounter, was required to be as free and steady as if he had been going to a bridle i do not know whether this alacrity was altogether real on the part of arthur philipson but if it were otherwise neither his look nor pace betrayed the secret having hastily traversed the fields and groves which separated the landamans residence from the old castle of geierstein he entered the courtyard from the side where the castle overlooked the land and nearly in the same instant his almost gigantic antagonist who looked yet more tall and burly by the pale morning light than he had seemed the preceding evening appeared ascending from the precarious bridge beside the torrent having reached geierstein by a different route from that pursued by the englishman the young champion of berne had hanging along his back one of those huge two-handed swords the blade of which measured five feet and which were wielded with both hands these were almost universally used by the swiss for besides the impression which such weapons were calculated to make upon the array of the german men-at-arms whose armour was impenetrable to lighter swords they were also well calculated to defend mountain passes where the great bodily strength and agility of those who bore them enabled the combatants in spite of their weight and length to use them with much address and effect one of these gigantic swords hung round rudolph Donnerhugel's neck the point rattling against his heel and the handle extending itself over his left shoulder considerably above his head he carried another in his hand thou art punctual he called out to arthur philipson in a voice which was distinctly heard above the roar of the waterfall which it seemed to rival in sullen force but i judged thou wouldst come without a two-handed sword there is my kinsman ernest he said throwing on the ground the weapon which he carried with the hilt towards the young englishman look stranger that thou disgrace it not for my kinsman will never forgive me if thou dost or thou mayest have mine if thou likest it better the englishman looked at the weapon with some surprise to the use of which he was totally unaccustomed the challenger he said in all countries where honour is known accepts the arms of the challenged he who fights on a swiss mountain fights with a swiss brand answered rudolph think you our hands are made to handle penknives nor are ours made to wield scythes said arthur and muttered betwixt his teeth as he looked at the sword which the swiss continued to offer him usum non habio i have not proved the weapon do you repent the bargain you have made said the swiss if so cry craven and return in safety speak plainly instead of prattling latin like a clerk or a shaven monk no proud man replied the englishman i ask thee no forbearance I thought but of a combat between a shepherd and a giant, in which God gave the victory to him who had worse odds of weapons than falls to my lot to-day. I will fight as I stand. My own good sword shall serve my need now, as it has done before. Content! But blame me not who offered the equality of weapons, said the mountaineer and now hear me this is a fight for life or death yon waterfall sounds the alarum for our conflict yes old bellower he continued looking back it is long since thou hast heard the noise of battle and look at it ere we begin stranger for if you fall i will commit your body to its waters and if thou fallest proud swiss answered arthur as well I trust thy presumption leads to destruction, I will have thee buried in the church at ensedlen where the priests shall sing masses for thy soul, thy two-handed sword shall be displayed above thy grave, and a scroll shall tell the passenger, Here lies a bear's cub of burn, slain by Arthur the Englishman the stone is not in switzerland rocky as it is said rudolph scornfully that shall bear that inscription prepare thyself for battle the englishman cast a calm and deliberate glance around the scene of action a courtyard partly open partly encumbered with ruins in less and larger masses methinks said he to himself a master of his weapon with the instructions of bottaferma of florence in his remembrance a light heart a good blade a firm hand and a just cause might make up a worse odds than two feet of steel thinking thus and imprinting on his mind as much as the time would permit every circumstance of the locality around him which promised advantage in the combat and taking his station in the middle of the courtyard where the ground was entirely clear he flung his cloak from him and drew his sword rudolph had at first believed that his foreign antagonist was an effeminate youth who would be swept from before him at the first flourish of his tremendous weapon but the firm and watchful attitude assumed by the young man reminded the swiss of the deficiencies of his own unwieldy implement and made him determine to avoid any precipitation which might give advantage to an enemy who seemed both daring and vigilant he unsheathed his huge sword by drawing it over the left shoulder an operation which required some little time and might have offered formidable advantage to his antagonist had arthur's sense of honour permitted him to begin the attack ere it was completed the englishman remained firm however till the swiss displaying his bright brand to the morning sun made three or four flourishes as if to prove its weight and the facility with which he wielded it then stood firm within sword-stroke of his adversary grasping his weapon with both hands, and advancing it a little before his body, with the blade pointed straight upwards. The Englishman, on the contrary, carried his sword in one hand, holding it across his face in a horizontal position, so as to be at once ready to strike, thrust, or parry. "'Strike, Englishman,' said the Switzer, after they had confronted each other in this manner for about a minute." the longest sword should strike first said arthur and the words had not left his mouth when the swiss sword rose and descended with a rapidity which the weight and size of the weapon considered appeared portentous no parry however dexterously interposed could have baffled the ruinous descent of that dreadful weapon by which the champion of berne had hoped at once to begin the battle and end it but young philipson had not overestimated the justice of his own eye or the activity of his limbs ere the blade descended a sudden spring to one side carried him from beneath its heavy sway and before the swiss could again raise his sword aloft he received a wound though a slight one upon the left arm irritated at the failure and at the wound the switzer heaved up his sword once more and availing himself of a strength corresponding to his size he discharged towards his adversary a succession of blows downright athwart horizontal and from left to right with such surprising strength and velocity that it required all the address of the young englishman by parrying shifting eluding or retreating to evade a storm of which every individual blow seemed sufficient to cleave a solid rock the englishman was compelled to give ground now backwards now swerving to the one side or the other now availing himself of the fragments of the ruins but watching all the while with the utmost composure the moment when the strength of his enraged enemy might become somewhat exhausted or when by some improvident or furious blow he might again lay himself open to a close attack the latter of these advantages had nearly occurred for in the middle of his headlong charge the switzer stumbled over a large stone concealed among the long grass and ere he could recover himself received a severe blow across the head from his antagonist it lighted upon his bonnet the lining of which enclosed a small steel cap so that he escaped unwounded and springing up renewed the battle with unabated fury though it seemed to the young englishman with breath somewhat short and blows dealt with more caution they were still contending with equal fortune when a stern voice rising over the clash of swords as well as the roar of waters called out in a commanding tone on your lives forbear the two combatants sank the points of their swords not very sorry perhaps for the interruption of a strife which must otherwise have had a deadly termination they looked round and the landamman stood before them with anger frowning on his broad and expressive forehead. How now, boys, he said, are you guests of Arnold Biederman, and do you dishonor his house by acts of violence more becoming the wolves of the mountains than beings to whom the great Creator has given a form after his own likeness, and an immortal soul to be saved by penance and repentance? Arthur, said the elder Philipson, who had come up, at the same time with their host what frenzy is this are your duties of so light and heedless a nature as to give time and place for quarrels and combats with every idle boar who chances to be boastful at once and bull-headed the young man whose strife had ceased at the entrance of these unexpected spectators stood looking at each other and resting on their swords rudolph donnerhugel said the landamman give thy sword to me to me the owner of this ground the master of this family and magistrate of the canton and which is more answered rudolph submissively to you who are arnold Biederman, at whose command every native of these mountains draws his sword or sheaths it he gave his two-handed sword to the landamman now by my honest word said biederman it is the same with which thy father stephen fought so gloriously at sempach abreast with the famous de Winklereed. shame it is that it should be drawn on a helpless stranger and you young sir continued the swiss addressing arthur while his father said at the same time young man yield up your sword to the landamman it shall not need sir replied the young englishman since for my part i hold our strife at an end this gallant gentleman called me hither on a trial as i conceive of courage i can give my unqualified testimony to his gallantry and swordsmanship and as i trust he will say nothing to the shame of my manhood i think our strife has lasted long enough for the purpose which gave rise to it too long for me said rudolph frankly the green sleeve of my doublet which i wore of that colour out of my love to the forest cantons is now stained into as dirty a crimson as could have been done by any dyer in ypres or ghent but i heartily forgive the brave stranger who has spoiled my jerkin and given its master a lesson he will not soon forget had all englishmen been like your guest worthy kinsman methinks the mound at buttesholes had hardly risen so high cousin rudolph said the landamman smoothing his brow as his kinsman spoke i have never thought thee as generous as thou art hare-brained and quarrelsome and you my young guest may rely that when a swiss says the quarrel is over there is no chance of it being renewed. We are not like the men of the valleys to the eastward who nurse revenge as if it were a favourite child. And now join hands, my children, and let us forget this foolish feud. Here is my hand, brave stranger, said Donner Hugel. Thou hast taught me a trick of fence, and when we have broken our fast, we will, by your leave, to the forest, where I will teach you a trick of woodcraft in return. When your foot hath half the experience of your hand, and your eye hath gained a portion of the steadiness of your heart, you will not find many hunters to match you. Arthur, with all the ready confidence of youth, readily embraced a proposition so frankly made, and before they reached the house, various subjects of sport were eagerly discussed between them with as much cordiality as if no disturbance of their concord had taken place now this said the landamman is as it should be i am ever ready to forgive the headlong impetuosity of our youth if they will be but manly and open in their reconciliation and bear their heart on their tongue as a true swiss should these two youths had made but wild work of it however said philipson had not your care my worthy host learned of their rendezvous and called me to assist in breaking their purpose may i ask how it came to your knowledge so opportunely it was even through the means of my domestic fairy answered arnold biederman who seems born for the good luck of my family i mean my niece anne who had observed a glove exchanged betwixt the two young braggadocios and heard them mention geierstein and break of day oh sir it is much to see a woman's sharpness of wit it would have been long enough ere any of my thick-headed sons had shown themselves so apprehensive i think i see our propitious protectress peeping at us from yonder high ground said philipson but it seems as if she would willingly observe us without being seen in return ay said the landamman she has been looking out to see that there has been no hurt done and now i warrant me the foolish girl is ashamed of having shown such a laudable degree of interest in a matter of the kind methinks said the englishman I would willingly return my thanks, in your presence, to the fair maiden, to whom I have been so highly indebted. There can be no better time than the present," said the landamman, and he sent through the groves the maiden's name, in one of those shrilly accented tones which we have already noticed. Anne of Geierstein, as Philipson had before observed was stationed upon a knoll at some distance and concealed as she thought from notice by a screen of brushwood she started at her uncle's summons therefore but presently obeyed it and avoiding the young men who passed on foremost she joined the landamman and philipson by a circuitous path through the woods my worthy friend and guest would speak with you anne said the landamman so soon as the morning greeting had been exchanged the swiss maiden coloured over brow as well as cheek when philipson with a grace which seemed beyond his calling addressed her in these words it happens sometimes to us merchants my fair young friend that we are unlucky enough not to possess means for the instant defraying of our debts but he is justly held amongst us as the meanest of mankind who does not acknowledge them except therefore the thanks of a father whose son your courage only yesterday saved from destruction and whom your prudence has this very morning rescued from a great danger and grieve me not by refusing to wear these earrings he added producing a small jewel-case which he opened as he spoke they are it is true only of pearls but they have not been thought unworthy the ears of a countess and must therefore said the old landman, show misplaced on the person of a swiss maiden of unterwalden for such and no more is my niece anne while she resides in my solitude methinks good master philipson you display less than your usual judgment in matching the quality of your gifts with the rank of her on whom they are bestowed as a merchant too you should remember that large guerdons will lighten your gains let me crave your pardon my good host answered the englishman while i reply that at least i have consulted my own sense of the obligation under which i labour and have chosen out of what i have at my free disposal that which i thought might best express it i trust the host whom i have found hitherto so kind will not prevent this young maiden from accepting what is at least not unbecoming the rank she is born to and you will judge me unjustly if you think me capable of doing either myself or you the wrong, of offering any token of a value beyond what I can well spare. The landamman took the jewel-case into his own hand. I have ever set my countenance, he said, against gaudy gems, which are leading us daily further astray from the simplicity of our fathers and mothers. And yet, he added, with a good-humoured smile, and holding one of the earrings close to his relation's face, the ornaments do set off the wench rarely, and they say girls have more pleasure in wearing such toys than grey-haired men can comprehend. Wherefore, dear Anne, as thou hast deserved a dearer trust in a greater matter, I refer thee entirely to thine own wisdom." to accept of our good friend's costly present, and wear it or not as thou thinkest fit. Since such is your pleasure, my best friend and kinsman, said the young maiden, blushing as she spoke, I will not give pain to our valued guest by refusing what he desires so earnestly that I should accept, but by his leave, good uncle, and yours— I will bestow these splendid earrings on the shrine of our lady of ensidlin to express our general gratitude to her protecting favour which has been around us in the terrors of yesterday's storm and the alarms of this morning's discord by our lady the wench speaks sensibly said the landamman and her wisdom has applied the bounty well my good guest to bespeak prayers for thy family and mine and for the general peace of unterwalden go to anne thou shalt have a necklace of jet at next shearing feast if our fleeces bear any price in the market chapter six